So this morning, what I would like to do is talk about baptism uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, didn't require a word from God to know what I should talk about this morning. But I want to talk about baptism not in a dry, disconnected kind of way. I'm going to give you some relatively dry facts at the beginning, that, but, I, but I don't want to end that way. What I, what I want to end with is what, even if you have been baptized, and maybe for you, like me, it was many, many years ago, it's a, it's a memory that I remember, that, but it's a long time ago, and we humans tend to lose the more time that goes by between the thing that happened in our, in our memory, we, it tends to lose its, its impact. And I want to stir that back up for you this morning. And I also want to stir up for those who are getting baptized uh, a, a deeper understanding of what it is that's happening in baptism because it is absolutely central to what we believe as Christians and what it is Jesus has done for us. Um, so I'm hoping that those of you who are, have been baptized will not just check out and be like, ah, oh, I know all this. You, you know some of it, but we all need to be reminded, just like taking communion all the time. It's a similar thing. So um, baptism has been contested, as you probably know, for centuries, and is kind of one of the main reasons why there are so many denominations. It sort of came to a head over baptism, but the the, the, and the problem is, as I just said, baptism is not just about, you know, what kind of, how deep in the water you go or how much water you use and, or, or when in the person's life you do it. It's all connected to pretty, pretty important issues, okay? Um, it's connected to our understanding of the gospel and what exactly it is that saves us. What does it mean to become a Christian? There are also questions about the mode of baptism and all of that, um, which is, to be honest with you, Hopefully this doesn't offend you. I think it's secondary, at least secondary, maybe whatever the thirtyary is. Um, tertiary, thank you. Uh, well, I just got smarter just, just right there. Uh, so my concern this morning is we not just learn about the, this church's position on baptism, but you actually get reminded of who you are as a Christian and who Jesus is and what he's done for you, okay? Um, so what is baptism? The two verbs that are used in the New Testament are bapto and baptizo. Bapto is only used four times. It means to dip or dunk something like you would when you're dyeing clothing. Uh, you want to turn your white shirt red, you dip it into red dye, right? Um, so the act of baptism is to submerge someone in water and bring them back up. Okay, that's what that word means. Now already I'm being controversial, right? Um, I have no problem with sprinkling uh, if you don't have enough water around to dunk. That's kind of, you know, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. But that is what the word means, okay? Um, let me give you some, some in-the-weeds big words, okay? You don't have to remember the big words. Just remember what they mean. Remember the idea, okay? There's, my favorite here is sacerdotalism. I had to write in my notes how to say it so I didn't get it wrong, Okay? That's the means that the sacrament itself, the water, the act itself, has the power to convey the thing that it signifies. Okay, this is the Roman Catholic view. The act of baptism is necessary for salvation and is in fact part of what saves you. We don't believe that. We don't believe that you are becoming saved or more saved even 
by being baptized. It's something you do after you're baptized, after you become a Christian. Um, in fact, not only we do not believe this, but I would say this is a false view of the gospel itself. Anytime you add something to what saves you other than Jesus, Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. That's the, that's the, that's the point of the book of Galatians. Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus anything you do is now a false gospel. And it may seem like it's just a smidge off, like just a hair off. But when you're just a hair off, you're completely off, okay? So that's where we are on that. You're not becoming a Christian when you get baptized. At least the water is not doing that, and the act is not doing it. Then there's the view, another wrong view, in my opinion, that's way more common. In fact, it's probably common in this room right here, which is that the sacraments, baptism and communion both, hold no power in themselves and are memorials, object lessons meant to remind us about God. They are purely symbolic, a pure remembrance. Baptism is a teaching and a testimony. This is the Baptist view, by the way, and it's probably the dominant Protestant view. I'm just being reminded with these symbols, and there's nothing, there's no supernatural or spiritual interaction happening. It's just that I'm being reminded with these symbols. That's better than sacerdotalism. <laughs> But it still, it leaves something behind. It becomes this cold, distant remembrance. And we need more than that. And that's not how baptism and how communion is talked about in the Bible. The third view, which is what we hold to, is the spiritual view. I don't know that that's the technical term. That's the one I gave it because I gave you sacerdotalism. That's as far as I'm going. Okay? Um, this is that the sacraments don't hold any power in themselves. That's true. But when they are administered in faith, God uses them as a means of grace to the believer. They are both a sign and a seal. A sign pointing. Change your page. I love the rustling. Pointing to the reality the elements symbolize and a corresponding seal of the believer's faith by God. This is the dominant position since the Reformation, believe it or not. So what this means is, and in, in, if I could explain it more, is that there's a real supernatural interaction happening. So when you take communion, for example, and you eat the bread and drink the wine together as a community, there's an ex the Holy Spirit is there. And because the Holy Spirit's there, Jesus is there. So the one that you're remembering, what he did a long time ago, is present in the moment. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Now, you can get weird and start talking about, well, maybe the, does the bread become Jesus? Is Jesus in the bread? Is he contained by the bread? There's all kinds of different arguments about that. Just stop, okay? Uh, or is Jesus in the water? Does he become one with the water? And then you go, no, just don't get weird. It, it, it's a mystery, okay? But he's present. Same thing with baptism. And I'm going to, there's actually some more explanation I'm going to get into biblically with Paul on that whole issue, but you just need to understand there's a real thing happening. It's not just, oh, I remember now. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit's there. Like, I'm praying that when you get baptized this morning, when you go under, that when you come up, you, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That there's a real moment for you that's not just a symbolic act of obedience, which it is that, but there's something more that happens because 
you have this sense that Jesus is here in the water with me, right? And I'm being filled with him. And this is a, there's grace flowing into me in this moment. I'm not just doing it just because, right? That's what I'm praying for. So we don't want to go full like Roman Catholic. But we also don't want to just go the other way completely and say, oh, this is just purely symbolic. It doesn't matter. It becomes flippant and not something that Jesus attends to. So what about infant baptism? Why am I bringing this up? I'm going to do it, all right? Obviously, you know at this point we don't baptize babies. Um, we don't baptize babies um, because baptism doesn't save you. We don't want there to be confusion about that, okay? Um, that's the primary reason. Baptism is required after you become a Christian, so it's not optional. But it is a post-salvation, post-justification thing, right? But it is, in the Bible, very closely associated together. So there's really not a lot of room in Scripture for becoming a Christian and then 10 years later getting baptized. Now that happens a lot because of lots of reasons, but that's not how it's supposed to go, okay? The way it's kind of supposed to go is you become a Christian and you get baptized. And they're, they're sort of a, you know, boom, boom thing. Not a boom, 10 years, boom, right? They're meant to go together, and I think that's where some of the confusion goes. Uh, but there's two types of infant baptism that I should point out um, for, for those who are wondering about their own experience growing up in church and was my baptism legit. That's a common, very, very common question because um, there's lots of people who were baptized as babies. They don't know what it meant, and so they're not sure what they should do about baptism now. Okay, so let me help you with that. Um, the Roman Catholic view of baptism, that sacerdotalism thing, everybody's going to remember that word now, uh, that baptism is a necessary part of what justifies you, then baptizing a baby means sealing that child as a Christian long before they have the faith to believe. That's a real problem. And it's probably the biggest reason for the Protestant Reformation was over that issue. Presbyterians baptize babies also but it's a different reason it's basically what we we, we would call a uh, baby dedication which we're going to do on mother's day but with adding of the water right where it's the same idea they're just saying god this child belongs to these believing parents and we're t- believing you that their covenant with you extends over this child until this child grows up to the point where it gets its own needs to connect with you him or herself right that's what they're saying. They're just bringing the water into it, which is where I object, okay? But they are two different things. And so that, hopefully that helps you a little bit understand the difference. Um, they have verses for that, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to read the verses and argue about it, but they do have verses, all right? So what do you do about baptizing your own kids? That's another common question I get. Um, we have a lot of kids getting baptized this morning. <laughs> So what I would say, based on all those things I've thrown at you, what it's, one, it should be the parent. The parent knows better than anybody whether or not your child is a Christian, has saving faith. Like really trusts in Jesus, believes in him, believes in their heart that he's risen from the dead. He's not some distant you know, historical figure, but he's alive and with me and knows me, and I, he is in charge of my life. Like, and when they can articulate that, I feel like you as a parent can go, this is real, or they're just mimicking. 
right? And there's always some mimicry because they're going to want to get in when they see their friends get baptized. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened to you already, it's going to. And you just need to kind of say, hold on. It's not an automatic in you go. It's like, do you, are you, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Explain that to me. Like, what do you, and you try to discern through their little child brain, like if they're saying what you want, what they think you want them to say, or if there's a real belief there, right? But I feel like most parents, you kind of know. You kind of look at your child and you know them and you know when there's faith and when there's not. And when they get to that point, then let's baptize them, okay? Um, but don't do it just because it seems like the next thing to do, okay? Wait for God to show you as a parent. And I would love to talk to you about that and help you, like, if you don't quite know. Like, I don't want to say every parent knows and you're like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bad parent. That's not what I mean. Um, I, I'd love to help you, but um, that's kind of how we do it. Uh, there's not a set age, we don't believe, for when that is possible, okay? Um, so what about rebaptism? This one's hard. Uh, it really is hard. A lot of people, they get baptized when they're young, like I did. I was maybe six years old, something like that. And then you walk away from God for a little while. Nobody raise your hand. It's a real common story. And then... And then you get a little older and get convicted by the Holy Spirit and you kind of come back around. And you want to do something to, to signal that you've come back around. And sometimes you're not even sure if you really were a Christian back then, but you're sure you are now, right? You know, so you can see why that can be confusing if you're not sure what to do. Um, so, so one is a couple of things. And a lot of this is person-specific, okay? So it's hard for me to give everybody advice about this all at once. Um, baptism in and of itself is meant to be a one-time act, okay? So that's where you start. It's a one-time thing. Having a breakthrough in your life or a walk with God is not really a reason to get baptized again. I would say unless you feel like you weren't really a Christian then. You were faking it. That's the American kind of especially in the South, our version of Christianity quite often was cultural more than it was real. And if you never, if you didn't come to faith until after you became a, got baptized, I would say get baptized again. But if you would say, I think I've always been a Christian, I just had some rebellion, and God dealt with me, and now I'm in more, walking in more obedience to him, I would say, don't worry about it. But I think that's a conversation you should have with somebody else, okay, to kind of work through that. Um, what we don't want is what I kind of grew up around, because most of my friends growing up were Southern Baptists, and they would have revivals once a year, right? And I'm actually not against, I think that's a cool idea. I don't know if we should call it revival. I don't think you can just schedule a revival. But I like the idea of having like a week every year where everybody basically cancels all their plans and they come and they worship together and they hear fiery preaching and they want people to get saved. Like, I think that's a cool thing. But what happens a lot is you get saved every year, <laughs> right? I remember we used to go to uh, Winter Jam. Uh, I think they still have it now. It kind of died during COVID. But we'd go and, and I'd be there with like some of our kids and then the, the row in front of me would be obviously a youth group all together, took up a whole row stadium and 
they'd do the altar call and all of them would stand up to respond to the altar call and go, wow, this is either an amazing youth group that has somehow gathered like 30 unsaved teenagers to come to an awkward Christian concert and they've all gotten saved or they're confused about what saves them, right? And so that's what we want to avoid with baptism. We don't, I don't want you getting baptized like every year, right, on a cycle of, you know, I didn't do well and this is a way back, okay? That's what you want to avoid. So you can see why it's complicated. And really, we should talk, right? But, um, okay. Yeah, we don't want to have a mentality of my baptism didn't stick. So let's talk about that. Okay, so let's talk about Jesus' baptism. This is where we get into, what does this mean? What is, what is it we're doing here? What is it are we, that we're witnessing? And what did I do when I got baptized, um, however long ago that was? I think we have to start before Jesus, the pre-Christ history of baptism, which is really interesting. Um. They used it as an initiation rite for Gentiles. The Jews used baptism as a way, probably a spinoff of their hand-washing rites and other things, to, to say, so if you were a Gentile and you wanted to join, worship Yahweh, which was a Jewish thing, the way they kind of signified you were coming in is you'd get baptized. It was another way, in addition to circumcision, for a convert to show that they were sincere in their faith, like to show it outwardly, to, to declare to all their Gentile friends that they had become a follower of Yahweh. It was a public thing. So when John the Baptist started doing baptisms, you can see why that would have been controversial, because he was baptizing Jews. They're going, what are you baptizing us for? We're already in. We're like... We got everything we need, and that's why you see him saying things like, oh, don't think that because your father was Abraham that God can't take an axe to the tree and cut it down and grow another tree, that he can't do whatever he wants. What he's after is obedience and faith, not just who your mom and dad were and what, family, what your family tree says. You can see why that was controversial because he was preaching to Jews, telling them to repent. It's like, repent of what? I've been to the temple. I do the sacrifices and what I repent of. Oh, and be baptized. I, why do I need to be baptized? I'm already in. What are you talking about? It was stirring. That's why it stirred up so much controversy. It was a, the very act of what he was doing was offensive. Let's look at Matthew 3, 1 through 6. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is, he, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Speaking of the Messiah. Verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Hmm. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, Jordan, confessing their sins. This is not normal. It seems normal for us because we're after this, looking back at it. But at the time, this was some weird stuff. Not just what he was wearing, 
But the fact that people who in their mind did not need to repent of anything were repenting, confessing their sins, and being baptized in the Jordan was weird. These are not Gentile converts. These are Jewish converts to God. Imagine that. I feel like that's a picture of the church today, isn't it? A lot of people in the church who need to repent and come to God. <laughs> so naturally, this drew the religious authorities out to see what was going on. So we see that in verses 7 to 12. He says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. That'll really calm them down. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember, Jesus picks this theme up and talks about the vine and the branches and the vineyard and all of that. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John's making it clear what he's doing, making sure there's no mistake. That he is intentionally being offensive. He knows what he's doing. He's saying it's not enough to be ethnically a Jew. You have to be righteous. You actually have to be righteous. That's what's the requirement before God. You have to be right with God. Who your earthly father doesn't determine who your heavenly father is. No one is guaranteed a place in the kingdom of God based on their lineage. Kids, if your parents are Christians, you can't enter into heaven through them you can only enter into heaven through Jesus no one escapes the wrath of God based on their lineage either righteousness is the only way to escape the, right, the wrath of God and nobody is righteous Paul nailed that one down no one is righteous no not one not one of you is righteous John clearly sees that the kingdom of God is com coming is good for the righteous and terrible for the unrighteous. Baptism in the spirit, baptism in fire. Fire is not good. I know that charismatics like to put fire on all their things. Talk about fire all the time like it's good. It's not. In the Bible, when you see fire, it's a negative. It's the wrath of God coming on people. You don't want to be baptized in fire. Let's just say that, okay? Please don't pray for me that the Lord would baptize me in fire. I'd rather not. That's why I became a Christian. No fire for me, thank you. I'll take the good stuff, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying there's wrath and there's blessing. Which one do you want? The righteous get blessing, the unrighteous don't. It's got nothing to do with where you were born or who your parents are. John is calling people to repent of their sin through the act of baptism to prepare them for the kingdom so that it will be a day of blessing for them and not wrath. John is creating a new people among the Jews. That's amazing. John was starting, he was stirring, he was planting the seeds of the church right there. 
that there's this other group that's not about being Jew or Gentile or who you were born into or what sacrifices you've done. It's about the righteousness of someone else. So then Jesus comes up. And this is bizarre because remember Jesus is already righteous. He's never sinned. So I just want you to ask the question as you're reading this, why would he get baptized? Why? What's he doing? So verses 13 to 17 of chapter 3 in Matthew, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, obviously, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? I mean, picture it for yourself. You're doing some baptisms. Jesus walks up. You would say the same thing, and you would be right. Okay, he's not wrong. What do you... What are you asking me to baptize you for? You should be baptizing me. Please, just baptize me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So why? Jesus had no sin to repent of. Why is he doing an act of repentance? Why would he do that? And John's acknowledging this in verse 14. He said to John, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is joining this new tribe of God's people. This is how you join. This is how you join the new tribe, this new group that's neither, it's not about being Jew or Gentile anymore. It's not about who you were born into or any of that stuff. It's something other than that. And Jesus is coming to join that group. Jesus is joining this new tribe of God's people, fulfilling every requirement that is required of them. You see that? This is required of them, so Jesus says, I'm going to do it. Whatever I'm requiring of you, I will do. Whatever sacrifice, whatever death is required of you, I will fulfill, including even this. Every single thing he asks of you, he does first. Every single thing. We see later that Jesus is also taking baptism as his own thing. Jesus doesn't need a baptism so much as the baptism needs a Jesus. Jesus didn't need the baptism. Baptism needed him to affirm it. Look at this amazing, mysterious verse that many have fought over. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you could also say, instead of by baptism, you could say through baptism, and that's where a lot of, what's the role of baptism and all of that, and you're missing the point. The point is, there's a mysterious thing happening where when you stand in that water, Jesus is standing there. It's more like you're also standing in the Jordan with Jesus, with John the Baptist there. You are... In him, you are, if you're a Christian, you're, you're tied to him. It's like a baby in one of those weird, rappy, 
contraptions that, that people have that wraps all around you and you somehow squeeze the baby in there <laughs> with its little head sticking out and it, the baby seems totally happy. And wherever you go, that baby goes. Wherever you sit, that baby sits. Wherever you stand and walk and run or hopefully don't trip and fall, um, that baby's going with you, right? So you're, you're in the, the little baby papoose. And Jesus is walking around and where he goes, you go. And that's not just true now in the present it was, it's always been true, and that's the weird mystery that by the Holy Spirit, you were there when Jesus was baptized. He's looking ahead, not just in the cross, in his death, but also in his baptism. That's what Paul is saying. When Jesus was baptized, and the symbolism of that, going under the death that that represents, prophetically pointing forward to when he was actually going to die on the cross and go in a tomb. So Jesus goes under, and when he's baptized, and he goes under the water, and John the Baptist probably thinking, what am I doing this for? This is the Messiah. I'm just doing it. You're there too, and you're going under, into his death. And when Jesus comes up out of that water, symbolizing his coming resurrection, you are coming up out of the water with him. Why? Not because you can time travel, <laughs> or that also because you're in the baby thing. You're attached. You've been attached to him since the beginning. He chose you in himself. Jesus was not only literally baptized, but he did what baptism symbolizes, what it points to. He died for you, and when he died, Paul would say, past you died with him. Not you are dying or you will die or when you became a Christian you died. But somehow, by the Holy Spirit, you're so attached to Jesus that when he died, you died. You actually died. And the old you was gone, never to come back. And you came up as a new person, not yourself, but somehow taking on the identity of Jesus himself. That's crazy. Like Christianity is weird, right? <laughs> it's wild. It's mysterious. Baptism is a de declaration not only of your repentance, but also of your adoption into the family of God as one of his beloved children in whom he is very, very pleased. What did God say from heaven over Jesus when he came up out of the water? He said, behold, meaning look at him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That just means as pleased as God can be pleased, he's at. The most pleased, the, the ultimate pleased. There is no more pleased to be. It is Max. Who gets the most pleasure from God? The, his son Jesus as he comes up out of those waters. Now where are you in that moment? You're attached to him. And what God says about Jesus in his baptism, he says about you. Can you feel that? How pleased is God with Jesus? I think that's easy to imagine. He's as pleased as he can be pleased. It's harder <laughs> to make that step to say he's as pleased with me as he can be pleased. 
he has declared over me, this is my son, this is my daughter, and whom I am well pleased. People often say, I sure hope when I die, I'll hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you something, it has already been said over you in Christ. It has already been declared before you ever did anything. That's crazy. Seems unfair in your, in your direction, but it seems unfair for your benefit. He said, I've already said well done. I can't be more pleased with you than I am because when I look at you, my pleasure in my son Jesus defers to you automatically. It can't be changed. You can't block it. You can't dodge it. You can't avoid it. It's how he feels about you. He's absolutely, totally, 100% pleased with you, and it's got nothing to do with how well you did with your devotions last week. This is baptism. You're not standing there by yourself doing something to make Jesus happy. It does make him happy. You are obeying him, but oh, there's something more going on. He said, I'm attached to Christ, and and, and when he stood in that water, and I'm standing in this water, by the Holy Spirit, there's a thing happening, an interaction happening, where I'm, I'm symbolizing that I'm attached to Jesus, and where he goes, I go. He got in the water for me, and I'm getting in the water with him, because where he goes, I go. And so when I go under, I'm just going, oh yeah, I died with him. Yeah, old me, old scraggly, grumpy, cranky. Sinful me is dead as a doornail. Just gone. Never to come back again. And I come up and I'm being resurrected with him. Jesus came out of that grave. And when he came out of that grave and the sun shone and that, that, uh, that stone rolled away and the angels were there, I was attached to him. <laughs> Glued. Coming out of the grave too. So then Jesus, later at the end, right before he left planet Earth to send his spirit, Matthew 28, what does he tell us to do? Eight Verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. That's great news. So he's with us. We're still attached to him. Where he goes, we go. But what does he want us to be doing? Make disciples, mentor, raise. It's a parental word. Like do what he did. He had disciples. He spent a lot of time with them, getting them to do what he does. And then he says to us, go do that. Still do what I do. Go where I go. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm baptizing people. Baptism is, baptism is commanded by Jesus. It's a non-negotiable as the Great Commission is. It's just non-negotiable. So there is obedience issue. But you get to. <laughs> it's amazing. So. What do we conclude? One, for those that have been baptized, I just want you, I want you to remember it. And look, even if at the time you didn't know quite everything I just said, and you were just doing it because it seemed like what, this is what God wants me to do, and 
your faith was very simple. That's okay, right? Like, isn't that everybody in this room? Your faith start out, starts out real simple, and you, you learn the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, and now he's in my heart. And then you start to realize there's a lot more going on here. I, I'm attached to him in a way that's pretty amazing and mysterious and awesome that defines me and defines reality, and you learn more and more and more. So it's okay, but I want today when you're watching other people get baptized, I want you to rejoice with them, but not just rejoice with them like, oh, how sweet, how wonderful they're getting baptized, but you're, you're rejoicing that all of us who are followers of Jesus are attached to him in a way that our minds can't really comprehend, but it defines you completely and he is he has said well done he has said i am so pleased i am the most pleased with you i'm as pleased as i can be with you right now not because of you but because of jesus that's what this means and that maybe the holy spirit would stir up and fill you up again just with that simple fact that your past baptism would by the Spirit, move up to your present, and it would be as though you're being baptized all over again. That's what my prayer is for you. And for those of you who are being baptized, I want you to understand this is not a metaphor. It's not a mere symbolic remembrance. This is you declaring to the world that you are one with Christ. And that where he goes, you go. He's not just your boss who gives you orders and sends you out. You are connected with him personally and directly as a believer. And I want to pray that you would be filled with the Spirit when you get baptized. 